Everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone, live from Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and Sandy. Come see us, 10905 South Automall Drive. Want to remind you about our friends at Cypress Credit Union with the lowest fees and quickest keys. Cypress has the home loan product that is perfect for you. Visit any Cypress branch or cypresscu.com for details. All right, Gordon, uh, I, I love this survey when it comes out. I find, I find it fascinating, the anonymous GM survey for the NBA, where they ask all sorts of different questions, mm-hmm. and uh, the GMs return it. Now, I, I, I do question sometimes the – I mean, are they being honest? Are they being strategic? You know, what's the motivation uh, here? But nonetheless, I do think you can, you can get a little insight about what the so-called experts think are going to happen in the, the NBA. All right, let's uh, go, go down some of, some of the results, yeah. Uh, and, and we'll stay focused on most of the stuff that the, the Jazz were included in. It's, it's quite lengthy if you can go over the entire survey. But um, let's start with uh, what, they th- the, uh, what they think is going to happen, the Western Conference rankings. And they have them vote first, second, third, or fourth. And obviously a first-place vote carries more, he- uh, more weight. But they average it out to Utah finishing fourth. With 14 percentage points, the Lakers in third with 17, Denver in second and 18, and the Clippers at one with 34 percentage points. Does that surprise you that Denver's rated that highly? Um, yeah, maybe a little bit. I guess the logic in that would be young team going to take the next step. I think Jeremy Grant was a nice addition, but I think they probably think that those young players are going to get better, and they were already good last year. Yeah, last year's results were quite uh, good during the regular season. So, uh, okay. Now, this is a little tricky because the Jazz didn't get any first-place votes, but the Lakers got 14% of the first-place votes. So that kind of throws off the skew because the Jazz got 21% of the second-place votes and 34% of the third-place votes, whereas the Lakers got 17% of each. So the fact that they got some first-place votes kind of skewed it a little bit. Well, it's interesting because the Lakers are a team that are popular around the country. People love them or hate them, but they're sort of a popular pick. But this is coming from the general managers. Well, and general managers probably know firsthand how good LeBron has been. Yeah. And Anthony yeah. Davis, too, yeah. for that matter. And They, they, they must they, – many of them, a number of them must buy into that – and think that's really going to be difficult for teams to contend with. All right, this next one surprised me a little bit. Uh, which team made the best overall moves this offseason? Number one, the L.A. Clippers, 82%. Number two, the Pelicans, 11%. And then the Jazz, along with the Nets, uh, were in the also-receiving votes. What surprises you? Uh, maybe I th- they'd be a little bit higher. Hmm. Although maybe the Clippers are just such a slam dunk. I mean, 82%. You add Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Maybe it's just this, the case of what the Jazz did was nice, but that's just the right answer. Well, the Clippers, yeah. I, I, I would have to agree that, with, that the Clippers would be at the top of my list. But what do you think of Pelicans finishing ahead of the Jazz? Because a lot of people are really high on Zion. Yeah, and I think that's what it is. I, I don't know. I don't, think, I don't really have the Pelicans as a playoff team this year. 
So I don't know if I would. Some agree people with are that. thinking they might sneak in there, but I guess it it depends because Zion Williamson is one heck of an offensive player. Defensively, uh, that's not going to go so well. I don't think. All right. Uh, yeah, I I totally agree with you. Um, how about this one? What was the most underrated player acquisition? Hmm. Underrated. Underrated. I don't know. What is it? Mike Conley for the Jazz. Really? With 36%. And then two, Boyan Bogdanovich. Wow. At uh, 14%. Uh, tied for third is Malcolm uh, Brogdon and Jeremy Grant. Uh, and uh, others receiving votes. Lonzo Ball, Derek Favors got a vote. Danny Green, Chris Paul, J.J. Redick, Josh Richardson. But uh, the Jazz with the first two slots there with Conley and Bogdanovich. And as we talked about earlier in the show, that really hasn't uh, shown itself yet. No, it it, it has mm-hmm. not. No. But I think it, it shows the high opinion that the right. rest of the NBA has of, of those two players. And it underscores what you were saying earlier, that it's a matter of time. It's a matter of adjustment. And uh, those guys are quality, quality players who are used to doing things a little differently than what the Jazz are asking them to do early on. So, yeah, well, it's going to take a little time. It's not a matter of talent. It also tells me that uh, NBA GMs realize the fit factor. That, that Conley and Bogdanovich should be a good fit for the Jazz in what they needed and what they're trying to accomplish, which well, I, I think wonder, we both would agree with. Yeah, certainly offensively. I wonder how that's going to work at the defensive end, though. And we, you and I are of the opinion that Quinn's going to figure this thing out. He, he's going to figure it out, and they're going to be okay at that end. They have to be. Yep. They have to be to live up to the expectations that they have for themselves. All right, speaking of defense— here we go. Who is the best defensive player in the NBA? I would imagine that uh, GMs would probably say, well, on the perimeter or on the interior? Well, see, that's why this is kind of an unfair question. And and last year, by the way, Rudy and Kawhi Leonard tied at 37%. Mm-hmm. This year, Kawhi is number one at 45%. Rudy, number two at 28%. Uh, Draymond Green at 10, Giannis at 7, Paul George also at 7, Anthony Davis at 3. They're, they're really totally different defensive players. Which is why I think this is this question is a little bit unfair yeah. because it, it, the answer would have to do with what do you value more, a rim protector or an on-ball defender that can guard the other team's best player? Right, and apparently general managers uh, are, are going with uh, Kawhi on that, and I understand it, but I would rather have a rim protector because I think that's so, so vital. So vital. And maybe that's particularly true for the way the Jazz do their business at that end. But uh, I think Rudy Gobert is the best defensive player on the planet. Now, he hasn't really shown it in the preseason, but it's the preseason. Quiet Leonard's a heck of a player. But they're totally different. I mean, it's almost like comparing, you know, a, uh, a sports car with a Jeep. Well, I mean, if if you if you need to get up into the mountains, get, you want your jeep, right? But if you need to dangerously zig in and out of traffic while going <laughs> ninety five miles an hour, yeah, you need yeah. something else. And so, so which? How do you say which is the more valuable car? I well, mean, it's it's just kind of. 
Well, that's it why depends. I, I don't think the question is, is all that fair. Uh, but in rim protection is, is extremely important because everybody wants to get layups or threes, right, or, or dunks at the rim or a three-pointer. And Rudy can, you know, single-handedly alter that stra- that strategy. However, there is so much value in, in the fourth quarter if you're Doc Rivers this year to pull Kawhi Leonard aside and say, hey, we got a close one here in, in this down. game with the Jazz. Mm-hmm. I don't want Donovan Mitchell to score in this yeah. quarter. Go, go yep. get him. I mean, there's there's a ton of value in that too. Well, so that's you, why it's I mean, unfair. I would answer the question this way: Kawhi Leonard is the most versatile defensive player in the league. Yes, I would agree. And well, he, well, actually, think... there's a question: uh, most versatile defender in the league, and he came in second. Draymond Green was first. Draymond had 38 percent of that vote. Kawhi with 31. How does that make sense? Draymond could guard one through five. Kawhi maybe one through four. That's the only thing I can really think of. Mm, I'll take Kawhi, thanks. Now, how about this? The best, uh, who's the best interior defender in the NBA? Rudy Gobert. Okay, now guess what percentage, now this is the real story of this one, guess what percentage Rudy got? Of well, you've got, you've got those out there who really like Joel Embiid, uh, who really like uh, various other players. So I would probably say Rudy would be at about 35%. 93%. Really? 93. And in fact, there wasn't a second place vote in this category. Uh, three, let's see, two other players also received votes. So it was the exact opposite of what I thought. Anthony Davis and Joel Embiid. But Rudy got 93% wow. of, that, of that vote. There is, uh, there is hope that uh, people will appreciate what Rudy does because he's not even an all-star. Now, here's a category that the Jazz were first in last year with 45% of the vote, which is the best defensive team in the NBA. The Jazz are not first this year. The Clippers are first. Yeah, well, that makes sense. I would say the Clippers are first, too. The Jazz second in this at 24%. Man, if the Jazz can get to that level, then then they're going to finish higher than fourth. But can they get to that level? That's That's the big question. Well, the GMs think so, I guess. Uh, how about this, Gordon? Who is the best coach in the NBA? Who would you guess uh, the the GM said? Best coach, boy! I tell you, there are all different avenues you can take with that one as well. Uh, this is going to sound provincial, but I, I might go with Quinn Snyder. But I, I don't think that's who they said. Quinn Snyder was in the also receiving votes category. Uh, with Steve, Steve Clifford, Doc Rivers, and Quinn Snyder got votes. Popovich is your number one with yeah. 55% of the vote. All right. Uh, Spolstra, two at 17% of the vote. Really? Mike Budenholzer, three with 10%, and Steve Kerr, four with 7%. Now, you know it's what funny. I. Yeah, okay. No, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I'm just going to say I've heard so many coaches through the years say that none of them are any good if they don't have the players. Yeah. Well, to, to that point, um, a name that's not on that list that was actually the number one answer last year. A certain coach in Boston? Brad Stevens got 47% of the vote last year and was the top uh, vote getter. Not even on the list this year. Well, with what happened to the Celtics uh, within the Celtics last year, I can understand that. And a lot of that was his his fault, yeah. by the way. Yeah. He did not manage that team correctly. At first, people were giving him a pass, but then as time went on, they, they started asking that question. 
How did it come to this? Well, he screwed up with the minutes um, from the very beginning, from the first game where he plugged Gordon Hayward in back into the starting mm-hmm. lineup and lost the team. He was yeah. unable. He, he had the supposed cornerstone uh, best player on the team, Kyrie Irving, say, you know what? I'd rather be somewhere else. <laughs> we've got, I know we've got a team that should contend for the title, but I think uh, – yeah, I'd but like that, to be somewhere but else. That was because of other personal reasons, Jake. Was it? Was it? <laughs> uh, all right. How about this one? Yeah, right here, real quick on that particular issue. I, 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 I wonder if the Celtics. Uh, obviously, his injury kind of screwed this whole thing up. But I don't think the Celtics would have gone after Gordon Hayward if they knew it was going to turn out uh, the way it has. Well, and, of course and, uh, not. But, but I get it. It's the injury. But it might be more than that. Uh, how about this one? Which head coach makes the best in-game adjustments? Number one, Rick Carlisle uh, yeah, of that Dallas. Doesn't, that doesn't surprise me. 28%. Number two, Brad Stevens, Boston, 17%. Number three, Quinn Snyder. Yeah. 14% of the vote, uh, followed by Steve Clifford and Greg Popovich at 10%, Nick Nurse at 7%. Quinn is brilliant. I mean, dude is brilliant, and I like him. I'll admit it. I mean, I just like the guy, but uh, he he is he is very smart, and that's why I think the Jazz will figure out the adjustments they need to make. And I don't think it will take them a long, long time to do it. It might take them longer than some people thought. But uh, I think he's going to get that thing all tidy. Uh, which head coach runs the best offense? Steve, Steve Kerr, Kerr yeah. number one, 38%. Mike Budenholzer, two, 14%. Tied with Mike D'Antoni and Terry Stotts. Coming out of five, Mike Malone from Denver, Nick Nurse from Toronto, and Quinn Snyder all tied with 7%. But most of those coaches wouldn't be worth a damn at the offensive uh, end if they didn't have the players. Steph Curry makes you look pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Now, how about this one, Gordon? Which head coach has the best defensive schemes? Numero uno. Quinn? Quinn Snyder from the Jazz with 28%. That's a tribute to him. And isn't it interesting that that's the Jazz's weakness right now? Right now. Yeah, that's what what we were saying. This is a new challenge for Quinn. Mm -hmm. Usually he's trying to scheme up the offense to cover up some problems. Now he's got to scheme up the defense and get people to pick up on it in time to to get off to a good start. Change habits. Uh, All right. Who is the best assistant coach in the NBA? I won't rattle these off, but uh, Alex Jensen in a tie for fourth. Oh, good for Alex. seven percent of the vote. He's a terrific guy. Uh, He'll be a head coach in the NBA one day. Igor Kokoshkov also tied with seven uh, seven percent. Who was number one? Uh, Dan Burke, Chris of Indiana, Chris Finch of New Orleans, and uh, David Vanterpool of Minnesota all tied uh, with uh, 11%. Okay. Uh, how about this? Which active player will make the best head coach someday? You care to take a guess who's number one? Man, that is. Uh, right, who? I don't know. Mike Conley. Really? With 26% of the vote. Okay. Uh, followed by Chris Paul with 19, Malcolm Brogdon with 15, and Rajon Rondo with 11. Rajon Rondo? I, I think gonna, he'd make a terrible coach. Yeah, I, I don't agree with that one. But uh, but Mike Conley is so universally respected, maybe they think. Is is Mike Conley a great X's and O's guy? I mean, as far as heady players go? I don't is know. Is that if, his reputation? 
I, I think so. Okay. I mean, I think we'll we'll find out a little bit more first person now that he's in town. And we get to watch him every night. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about this? Uh, the uh, Jazz fans are going to like this one. Which team has the best home court advantage? The Jazz are number two, tied with Golden State at twenty four percent. Denver is number one, randomly Denver at thirty eight percent. Really? But, but home court advantage. Think about this. That's there, there's got to be some altitude in there, right? Yeah. That's what people. That's what, it's higher there than it is here. It is. I think. It might, it might not just be the raucous crowd. It might be the altitude coming into play. But the there, Pepsi Center, really? Yeah, hmm. they're a mile high. You haven't heard that? Yeah, I have it's heard It's a that. mile high city. But, but yeah, So it's based solely on elevation. I think it came I mean, into it play. Is, that's it, is really, it was really loud at Oracle Arena. I mean, that place was kind of a zoo. And uh, certainly, I think uh, Vivint Arena fits into that category as well, as far as enthusiasm from the crowd. But I never really looked at uh, the Pepsi Center as being all that formidable. But if you're, if you got to breathe, you know, something like <laughs> important, like breathing. <laughs> If you have to get your body oxygen, I guess it's pretty difficult. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then finally, this is the last uh, last spot the Jazz were mentioned. Who is the toughest player in the NBA? Number one, Stephen Adams, 32%. Uh, he was number one last year, too. Draymond Green, two, with 18%. P.J. Tucker, three, with 14%. LeBron, four, with 7%. And then in the also receiving votes category, Joe Ingles. Oh, really? As the NBA uh, mentioned for the NBA's toughest player. See, I don't see Joe as being all that tough. I, I think there's some bluster there, but real toughness? Are you kidding? He came back out with a bandage last year. That was awesome. Oh, he had a head wound. That's how you measure back. toughness? That's tough. If you had a wound serious enough to require a head bandage, you'd be in bed for a week. I would not. would not. Two weeks. Are you kidding me? In fact, one time I was playing basketball and I got popped in the right here at the edge of my eye, and I got fourteen stitches put in. I showed up to work the next day. Where's my Italian suede head? No, I was I was at work the next day. At work the next day to tell your editor, you know, I I gotta get BS man Hawaii for a couple. No, they told he told me. He said, "Man, are you are you kidding me?" I said, "Yeah, you want to see it." And I showed him that I took the bandage off, and he looked at it, and he said, get out of here. I can't believe that uh, you're bashing on Joe so much. I'm not bashing on Joe. He's not a tough I player. No, I just I mean, there's, the NBA has a lot of tough guys in it. And Joe, to me, is a little more of, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of just sort of plucky in an inconvenient kind of Joe way. Joe is tough. Come on. Joe Eagles is a tough player. Watch how he, uh, you know, knocks it around with some of those big-time wings. <laughs> but, see, that's not how I really – Ask Paul a, George if he thinks that Joe uh, Ingles is I, tough. I don't mean it as a slight to Joe. It I, sounds like it. Does it? Well, then let me, let me adjust that. I think Joe is, is a heck of a guy, heck of a player. But I, I see a lot of bluster there rather than real, real toughness. And that has its usefulness as well. Uh, Tyson tweeting in says toughness could also be referring to his consecutive games played. Oh, now that'll agree with. Yeah, good point. Yeah, you're wrong there, Gordon. Joe Ingles really. Joe should be. Uh, Okay, if you're if you're gonna put somebody in a in a boxing ring, give me Joe, man. Come on, really? If he and Steven Adams were the same size, give me Joe. (laughs) Well, they're not. That's the point. 
There's a lot of guys around the league that would you say you have to go in a trash can. You saying you have to be big to be tough? I disagree. I disagree, sir. Does Joe look overly muscular to you? You have to be big to be tough. I, I just, you don't. I think Britton Covey is pretty tough, and that guy is little. <laughs> okay. Patrick Beverly is on this also receiving votes. Yeah. You're going to say Patrick Beverly's not tough? Uh, he's, he's not big, he's but tough. he's tough. It's just that Joe is kind of, Joe just goes, drapes himself around people. You know, he's more an octopus than he is a a junkyard dog. I cannot wait for them to play this for him next Thursday. <laughs> they should play this for him next Thursday. No, I like Gordon Joe. Gordon calling oh, yeah, him an octopus. <laughs> I, like, I like Joe. I do. I now like you him. know he's going to hear this. Uh, backing it up. Uh, no, back. I like Joe, but really the toughest guy in the league. I some GMs think so. Yeah, move it on back, Gordo. No, I'm not moving nothing back. Back it on up. No. Doesn't think Joe Ingles is tough. It's all, all bluster. Right. You got it. No, I didn't. You I, called I, him an octopus. I, I, <laughs> he drapes himself around. He plays defense, and, and he's he's aggravating. Joe Eagles, more of an octopus than a junk <laughs> dog. I, in fact, I'm going to tweet that out. No, it's no reason. No reason to really just ruffle feathers here. I, I, I don't. I don't mean it so much as, as a as a as a rip. I mean it more that there are guys around the league that uh, that probably would would give Joe a very difficult time from a standpoint of what the, how is that backing anything you, up? You, I'm saying they stuff him it. in a garbage can. Ten well, yeah, ago. probably maybe a dumpster and, and calling somebody an octopus. When is that a compliment? Because he's not a junkyard dog. He's more of an octopus. <laughs> He'll would you want to? Would you want an octopus? You know, all over you. Octopus. Yeah, because they got the tentacles, you know, and they suck your skin, and they get, you know, they they have that ink stuff that they that they that they. Mm. Oh, my gosh. I I think Joe Ingles is tough myself. Just saying, I agree with the GMs, not with Gordon, who thinks he's some sort of sea creature. All right, stay tuned. We'll get to more next. We'll get back into some college football. Love you, Joe. Cephalopod, nonetheless. Live uh, from Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram. Come on by and see us. Want to remind you also to join join us tomorrow from 3 to 6 at Supply Link, or excuse me, 576 West, 800 South, up there in Bountiful. More big shows straight ahead. Man of War? Man of War. Those are deadly. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Welcome on back. Live from Larry H. Miller, Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram in Sandy, 10905 South Auto Mall Drive. Thank you very much for making us a part of your day. Man, I'll tell you, I was just looking online. Did you see that uh, You saw that post that Rex Chapman put up about the orca whale punting a seal 80 feet into the air? <laughs> I did see that. Wow. I, I tell you, Rex has really found himself a little celebrity with this blocker charge. Thing, he, he has, but uh, I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe I should have called Joe an orca. It would have been nicer than an octopus. <laughs> okay. Uh, Gordon. 
Um, we've talked a lot about uh, Kalani Satake this week, uh, his job security, etc. He's got a big game against Boise State. Uh, he really could do himself a favor by getting a win, but that yeah. certainly is an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pete Thamel of Yahoo uh, published kind of a coach's hot seat kind of article, one of those. Okay. And here's what he had to say about uh, Kalani, and I want to get your thoughts. He says, quote, he went 7-6 and six and won a bowl last season, but the injuries and a difficult closing schedule make this job worth monitoring as this year closes. The athletic department also faces an exis, uh, existential identity crisis as independence has been a difficult journey in terms of sustaining relevancy. I agree with all that. Don't you? I do, but, I mean, coming from a national writer like Pete Thamel, who's terrific, I, I do think it, it carries some weight, and he puts it... I mean, he puts it really bluntly. An existential identity crisis? Well, there is. Who do they belong to? They've had trouble sustaining relevancy. Well, is that untrue? No, not necessarily. But if if that's true in those dire of circumstances, why are they still independent? Oh, that's a great question, Jay. But see, that, see, that's what I don't get, because every time we bring this up, go back to the conference, uh, a lot of Cougar fans, I'm not going to say everybody, because uh, a lot of Cougar fans, you know, uh, wail and gnash their teeth about uh, how uh, independence is the they, right direction. They I don't, just don't they understand don't, They don't think going back to the Mountain West would help them. That seems to be their point of argument. And they say, how does that help us? Well, what it does is it gives your team something to play for after they lose their first couple of games. But a lot of, uh, see, BYU as a whole, in a lot of ways, is living in in its past. And I've written this, uh, Jake, and I've talked about it. It's, it's, they're living a myth. It doesn't exist. It isn't what people think it is. Or thought it was. Maybe that too. I mean, if Lavelle Edwards' better teams had to play a schedule like this one this year, they would struggle as well. Now, you take their greatest teams ever, and I think they'd be in fine shape. But it's, it's, it's difficult when the school is doing what it does, prioritizing what it prioritizes, when it uh, has limited resources committed to the football program, and uh, it's trying to move on up and uh, put itself in a position that is likened to a P5 team, and they don't have the athletes. They don't have the athletes. I don't think the school has the commitment. So they've bit off more than they can chew. Yes. But the the good news is it's also kind of boring because they don't have anything to play for. That too. Because think about it this way. I want to let's go through next year's schedule real quick, and I want you just okay. kind of make a mental note of how All many right. wins that uh, that you think this program is going to okay. get, regardless of who the head coach is. Okay, uh, at Utah, Michigan State at home, at Arizona State, at Minnesota, Utah State at home, Missouri at home, Houston at home, at NIU, at Boise State, San Diego State at home, North Alabama at home. At Stanford, there are, I see like two or three wins there. That is brutal. That is absolutely brutal, and it, it gets back to the point where I think that they can still play a lot of these big name guys, even if they were in a league. If you're in the Mountain West, you can still play four challenging opponents before you get into conference play. And the good news with that is, let's say you get your head kicked in by all four. 
You're still playing for a league title. Yeah. You still have something on the line. Utah State got smoked against LSU. But see, smoked. But and th- they but still are is, very much interested. But this, this is year. the thinking. Tom Homo thought if they played this kind of schedule that it would attract the kinds of athletes that they thought they might get. And it hasn't. It has attracted some, but not enough. And so now, in fact, I, can, I think you can make an argument that it actually attracts fewer. Well, I don't know. I mean, that's another argument we can have. But uh, right now, it is not. It is not accomplishing that. And there's all kinds of reasons why. But they don't have good enough players to hold up under that kind of schedule. And so, what happens? The players who do go to BYU end up getting beat. And this year has been kind of weird because they were two and two against those big name schools. And then what do they do? They go out and lose to Toledo and South Florida. So I, I, I just next. That sounds pretty dire, doesn't it? Well, I think Bronco, I honestly think Bronco Mendenhall was telling us he was sending up bat signals and, and right out to right before he left, plainly saying that this is not sustainable. But I think he was sending out signals that this this isn't going to work. And you wonder why everybody said he took the UVA job for the money, which, you know, he's making more money at UVA. But my guess is he also saw what was coming. He saw what was coming down the line, that they weren't getting the same type of players and that uh, these schedules were going to be brutal and it was hard to motivate his team because they didn't have anything to play for. And and I think, you know, right back to that interview that he gave with, a, what was it, a Dallas newspaper where he basically yeah. begged to get into the Pac-12 yeah. on, his, on his knees saying, please take See, us. Now, that would improve their recruiting. That would probably, but, but this hasn't had that effect. But I, but I'm even talking, though they're playing, and some people have said, "Oh, wait, so this is like having a bowl game every week." Well, it's like losing a bowl game every week. But they're gonna, they're gonna every once in a while, they're gonna reach up and beat one of these teams, and that has happened this year too. It happened last year with Wisconsin, but it's just they're not good enough to do it consistently. Well, and then you stub your toe against Toledo's a quality football team. You know, it's it's, it's a nice little program, but they beat uh, the Cougars and the South Florida thing. I don't get it all. No, they're a disaster. They shouldn't. They should not be beating BYU. And when you lose to those teams, you completely eliminate any good you did by beating. And BYU. You play these teams up front like that. I don't know what this isn't scientifically backed up. I don't think, but wouldn't you expect maybe to have a few more injuries? Oh yeah, I think it takes its toll. I would agree with that. And I don't know if that's true or not, but it seems like it would. Well, I still think go back to the Mountain West Conference, play in a fun league. Mountain West Conference football is fun. I mean, we're we're seeing. Boise State this week. It's a great matchup. It would be fun if there were conference ramifications. But then in your four non-conference games, and you wrote about this not too long ago, play play Utah and Minnesota and Michigan State, and then mix in an F, uh, FCS opponent or a lesser opponent, and bam, that's a really good schedule. And the, not the, that the problem different. is that the program has, has slipped enough that uh, I, I, if, if BYU were in the Mountain West, where would they finish? Well, this year they would not finish first. So, so well, we'll find out. They I might guess finish they, on down the line, but I, I, it's a it's a tough one, man. What they were asking those players to do is is almost uh, it's it's for BYU fans. It's frustrating because they're not equipped to handle the schedule. They're not equipped, and so what do you do in order to change that? Well. 
you probably have to lower the academic standards for your athletes. You have to maybe loosen up that honor code a little bit, and some people disagree with me on that. You have to pour more money into the program, hire better coaches, and, uh, and maybe upgrade the facilities and upgrade the recruiting budget. And I don't mean to make payments illegally. I mean, you need to do what Utah is doing and spend a million dollars on it. But see, most of that stuff I don't think is going to happen. Well, I'm not saying whether it is or not. All I'm saying is what needs to happen in order order to give them a fighting chance against a schedule like that. Yeah, but I I guess that's my point, though. That's not like the vast majority of that stuff's not going to happen. Then why are you playing a schedule like that? You're throwing your lambs to the slaughter. Well, next year, that is that is just brutal. And then wrap it all up with Stanford. And, and I see the usefulness of it. If you, The same thing I think would happen to BYU, at least initially, if they were in a P5 league. But over time, you would be able to bring in athletes who want to play in a P5 league, who might be attracted to some of the things. I think there are athletes out there who like, kind of like what BYU does and like what the experience would be there to a certain degree, but not enough to sacrifice the pennies they get wherever they end up going instead. So anyway, that's Pete Thamble from Yahoo who said that the athletic department also faces an existential identity crisis as independence has been a difficult journey in terms of sustaining relevancy. Not very, only that, but it's very hurt, blunt. It's hurt some of the other programs as well. And Certainly other basketball. Sports. Yeah. All right. We'll have more coming up next. Stay tuned. Big Show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 of the zone. This is Tony Parks and Austin Horton. Brian Jones, CBS Sports. If Utah, they win out, they win the Pac-12 championship, how much are they going to rue that USC loss when it comes to conversations about the playoff? Well, I don't think it will hurt as much. It depends on how they went out going down the stretch and the fact that that game was earlier in the season. If you're going to lose, as a lot of these teams have found out, lose early, and then you see what materializes around the country. We'll see how many one-loss teams are still out there, and and then we can make a true assessment of where Utah fits in. But I think they can get past that. You can't look down the road, still big games left. And I know it sounds cliche, but it's pretty rudimentary. Take care of your biz. Tony Parks and Austin Horton. Weekdays from 10 to noon on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Utah's most listened to sports radio afternoon show. This is the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Sponsored by Mountain America Credit Union. Guiding members forward for over 80 years. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Just hold on. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Welcome back. Live at Larry H. Miller Chrysler, Jeep Dodge Ram here in Sandy, 10905 South Auto Mall Drive. Feel free to drop on by and see us. We have some jazz gear for you. Plus, uh, they have all sorts of great deals here at uh, Larry H. Miller Chrysler, Jeep Dodge Ram. It's the Ram Power Days and Jeep Adventure Days. So there's all sorts of of great deals uh, going on. Hey, uh, Gordon, real quick, do you want to take a stab at how many uh, players Chip Kelly has uh, run off uh, in, during his time at uh, UCLA? The the Bruins taking on the Cardinal tonight in uh, a real suck fest in the Pac-12. I would guess 25 to 30. 63. Wow. 63. How about that? That's a lot. 
I mean, that's why UCLA stinks. Is is because you can't run off that many players, and uh, and and not take some time to recover. Joining us yeah. now, what I mean? the uh, head coach of the UCLA Bruins, the one and only Chip Kelly, with us on the Zone Sports Network. Coach, uh, good afternoon. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? <laughs> he doing matched- fantastic. I just ran off another thirty. He matched my enthusiasm. But that's the reason I don't think Chip's going to lose his job uh, after this year. I think when he got hired, he probably went in there. Clean house. Well, here's the thing. Urban Meyer, right? Urban, Urban Meyer does this all the time. Every new place he goes, he runs off a certain amount of the Except team. Except he kept them winning. But, but he, doesn't, he doesn't run off the whole team. That's the thing. You run off a few guys, you motivate the rest of them, you trim the fat, so to speak, and then – Hit the ground running. No. Chip got in there and said, "Nope, the uh, this whole team sucks, <laughs> and so all of you need to find somewhere else to play. All of you aren't good enough." And yeah. and uh, Petros uh, Papadakis talked about this on our show when we had him on uh, a couple of weeks ago. That Jim Mora just left the the covered so yeah. unbelievably bare that yeah. Chip Kelly came in and thought, "Oh." Kind of like, uh, kind of like when uh, Norm Chow uh, took the Utah offensive coordinating job, and he got to look at the the stable of quarterbacks <laughs> when he got there. It's like, oh, well, I guess there's this guy named John Hayes <laughs> it's some that we Division could sign up school and, in Kansas or something. And Chase Hanson, hey, how about you? You don't go on a mission and you come to spring ball and fight for this starting <laughs> job, please. But I, that really surprised me. I mean, that that is a huge number. That is a mass exodus, and we wonder why UCLA stinks. Well, that's there's your reason. Yep. Yeah, well, that's one of the reasons. Who do you have winning tonight? I don't know. I... You don't have an opinion on Stanford-UCLA? Uh, I, well, I would expect Stanford to win, but, you know, I mean, I don't know. But Stanford got smoked by UCF. Yeah. They beat Washington, your team. Who you picked to <laughs> go to the college football playoff? Even I though I, not. even though I told you, I said I hold the phone not. on that I did a minute, Gordon. Pick them to go to the playoff, and then just continued to beat me over the head with how good Washington was for the first few weeks of the year. You know, I'm impressed with you and Austin's ability to make what I say sound all convoluted because uh, stick stickly at bad take on sports. He. <laughs> He texted and said, or tweeted, and what I'm, I'm, I'm impressed by Gordon Monson's ability to speak so clearly with his foot in his mouth. Hashtag Joe Ingles is an octopus. I, one, good one, point. My foot good is not point. in my mouth. Yeah, you did back. You did back I, off. It I didn't back good. off it. I said he's an octopus, and I stand by that. that. But then you tried to tell us how that was actually a good. thing. It is. Like when you called Gordon Hayward a Buick. And another one here, Spence says, uh, really, Gordon really knows how to relate to the blue-collar listeners. Quote, I showed up to my job as a writer with a boo-boo on my head. It wasn't just a, I was blind in one eye, all right? I couldn't see, my, the whole side of my face was swollen. I could right? barely type. <laughs> you try to drive a Porsche to work with one eye closed. Seriously. You guys, you guys really, really, it's amazing how I put up with you. Is it? Or is it the other way around? <laughs> no, it was a serious wound. All right. What? It was a Medic! serious wound. It, it was. Did you check yourself out of the hospital to get into work? I was in the hospital. 
And I did go to work the next day. You were you were admitted into the hospital for stitches. Yeah. Or did you just go to the ER? Well, that's the hospital, isn't it? No. Yes, it is. No, it's not. The ER's in the hospital. It's the emergency room. That is the hospital. It, but uh, you, but you're not admitted for that. Yeah, you're not admitted to the hospital. You go to the emergency room. Well, that, that's true, I guess. But it was, I couldn't see out of my eye. Half my face was swollen, and, and it was a mess. It was a mess. When I showed my editor what it looked like, he he dismissed me and told me to go home. So, what? Your editor is soft, too? Is that what you're talking no, about? No, come on, man. Jake. <laughs> Joe Ingles, I, I, think, a professional. I, think, I think I have proven through the years that I don't miss work just for every little hiccup, all right? Nobody said that, but nobody's. That's what you were. Nobody's buying that you had half your skull taken off and still dragged <laughs> yourself to work. <laughs> wait a that's, minute. That's wait a minute. <laughs> Did I ever imply that <laughs> I had my, my skull caved in no it's kind of what you, you said were it was a head to... wound you it did was a head wound it that, that implies wound. civil war fife and drum i don't know right. they, they, well, if you had seen it you would have known exactly was what it I'm the red badge about. of courage here they had to go in and put like five or six stitches inside on the inside of my face and then they had to stitch it up on the outside the thing i mean it was nasty I was missing half my skull and had my right eyeball in my hand. <laughs> Somehow managed to and get said, my way I said, take me in. up. I got a column to write. <laughs> I'm no my octopus. editor said, how are you breathing right now, let alone here at work? Get the man a medal of honor. <laughs> you are the octopus of sports writers. Tough. Uh, you guys have never Tough. had an octopus wrap itself around your head. Either of you. No, but does it sound good? Stay tuned. We'll get more next. As get it me is the out big of show. here. Live. Get me out of here. Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep Dodge Ram in Sandy, 10905 South, Automall Drive. More straight ahead on the big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Wrapping up a big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I want to say a big hearty thanks, as always, to our friends here at Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and Sandy, 10905 South Automall Drive. Uh, Gordon, you've had a bunch of experience with these guys in the past. Uh, we know uh, first per- firsthand that they'll treat uh, our listeners right. Yeah, it's always been my experience here. And uh, as you said, I've bought multiple vehicles from this store and uh yeah i would encourage anybody if you're looking for th- those vehicles a jeep or a chrysler dodge get on down here you're you're very popular down here everybody knows you they stop and uh, and uh, see how you're doing well i'm a customer i know that's what i'm saying excuse me that's what i'm saying you're very popular I, I think you called me an octopus no you called joe ingles an octopus <laughs> And I, I really thought that that was very uncalled for. All right, you're viewing it the wrong way because I, I don't think an octopus is any uh, any kind of disparagement. Uh, I think that that's uh, formidable and downright scary. They I think don't you're have the only teeth. one. Yeah, right. Yeah, but I, didn't you see twenty thousand leagues under the sea? Wasn't that a big old octopus? 
I'm grabbed that submarine and pulled it under. So <laughs> fiction, fiction then. <laughs> no. So you would and you Jules, wanna, Jules Verne, huh? Would you want an octopus garden, you? An octopus's garden? Isn't that a Beatles song? <laughs> oh, man. Your, your quote about Joe Ingalls was, he's not a junkyard dog, he's an octopus. Yeah. How are, you, how are people supposed to take that? That he, he's, he's aggravating when he's guarding you, and he's all over the place. Mm. But he's not going to beat you up. Mm. I think Joe Ingalls is tough. I just think you're wrong. I think we need a, uh, a charitable boxing match between Gordon oh, and shit. Joe. What a great Joe, idea. For the, kids, Joe is, for the kids. Joe, Joe is 6'9". He's an octopus. You basically you you called him soft, more or less. I didn't call you didn't him say soft. He wasn't tough. I you said he'd be say, stuffed in a I garbage not, can. I you did. <laughs> you said any of these NBA players could stuff him in a garbage can. I did not can. say any of them. I said there are players around the league that could do that. And Joe would probably agree with that. I doubt it. Hand me a Foster's. Because tough guys, you know. They don't back down, Gordon. And Joe Ingles is a tough guy. He's not, uh, you know, the state puff marshmallow man or whatever. <laughs> comparing him to the Pillsbury Doughboy. I didn't say that. That's basically what you said. You no. compared him to sushi. <laughs> Calamari Ingles. <laughs> not true, man. I would not want an octopus with its tentacles all over me. I, I, that does not sound good. You just dug yourself such a big hole with this one. And no, you know what? Austin no. is clipping this sound no, you and guys. sending it to Hatch. <laughs> I'm to sending it to Joe's next week. <laughs> you guys, you guys are taking it all out of context here. You didn't call him an octopus. Yeah, but an octopus is a fearsome creature. You said he's not a junkyard dog. He's an octopus. Yeah. Yeah. What's? I think he, there's plenty of junkyard dogginess in Joe Ingles. <laughs> All right, I, I'm sorry I, uh, that you guys are misunderstanding me. Thanks to Ron Counts of the Idaho Statement who, uh, Statesman who joined us today. Thanks to Hode Rabino of Devil's Digest as well as we talked uh, college football previewing the opponents with them. Uh, those interviews are up at 1280thezone.com or you can get uh, them in podcast form, however you get your podcasts. So simply search out The Big Show. Uh, you can give us a subscribe and you get all of our content each and every day right there to your phone. Uh, thanks to Austin Horton, executive producer of The Big Show. Fine work as usual, Austin. Gordon? You you were here today. <laughs> I was here. All the octopi out there. Let's uh, let's uh, give ourselves a cheer. Uh, I want to thank our listeners, not you or Austin, but our listeners. I thank them for tuning in. We do appreciate the listeners. You guys, I, I have no use for right now. We'll talk to you on the big show tomorrow, <laughs> ninety-seven five and twelve eight. Put them up, Joe. Come on, put them up. <laughs>